G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Australia is changing and if you haven't noticed, church is changing and the attitudes of Aussies to church is changing too. An important question to explore today on how do we continue to engage our communities and multiply our churches. Well, there are some events that are coming up with an organisation called Exponential Australia. They'll be regional events in Melbourne, in Sydney and in Brisbane ahead of a church multiplication summit that's coming up in Perth on the 31st of May. Now, these events are going to feature some outstanding leaders Uh, well-known leaders like author and leader Ed Stetzer from the United States, Bishop Rick Thorpe from the UK, Dave Ferguson, who leads one of America's most influential churches, and our special guest today, Bree Mills. Bree is Director of Micro Churches Australia and is an authority on missional leadership. She's called a Leadership Acceleration Catalyst with Exponential Australia, and she spent the last decade leading networks of micro-churches alongside existing churches and in independent networks. Bree, a special welcome along to 2020. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Let's talk, first of all, about this big multiplication summit that's coming up on the 31st of May. Uh, your insights here, Bree, because... You know, regional events leading to a big summit. Uh, give us your insights into what the intention is with that. Yeah, so the, the intention really is to have a conversation with the Australian church. We want to um, spark some conversation. We want to have some great thinkers in there talking about um, how we're thinking about church, how we need to rethink church and evangelism um, and mission. And so we're, we're just trying to start some conversations around Australia so that we can start to have, have a think about what it is that God might be calling us into in this season. Um, so a great bunch of speakers coming together um, and just really trying to start the conversation in the Australian church. Interesting, isn't it, that the conversation is a necessity. As some will say, oh, this will just be another talk fest. When I turn up to church the following weekend, it'll probably still look the same. But if you don't have a conversation, if you don't sow some seeds that get people thinking on different levels and appreciating perhaps the threats or the weaknesses that are in church, then Mm. nothing will ever change. So you have to have experts come, deliver their thoughts, and you have to have almost a hungry people who are ready to receive something to take things in new directions. What are your thoughts about the fact that, you know, a talk fest is necessary? Well, I, th- I think we need somebody to spurn the conversation. So we need the, the speakers to come and actually kind of drop a few key thoughts that get us thinking. And then in the afternoon of these events, we've actually got some workshops and some spaces where we can actually start to think, well, you know, this is what Ed Stetzer said, but he's from the US. How do we contextualise that in the Australian context? What learning can we pull out from the Australian context? 
And so I think it's it's really getting the speakers to really, I guess, push the buttons that, that cause us to move and, and start to propel us to think forward and then having those conversations in the afternoon with other church leaders about what this could look like in our context. Now, interestingly, some will say uh, you've got the American experts coming out here to tell us Aussies how <laughs> to do it. But uh, the shoe has been on the other foot because you're just fresh off the plane because you've been in the United States and you've been the Aussie contribution to how Americans are thinking about these things. Uh, what sort of reception did you get in the US? <laughs> I got a yeah, got a lovely reception in the US. I actually got called this week the matriarch of microchurches, which I'm not sure I'm old enough to really claim a matriarch title, um, but I really loved it. There's there's a great community. One of the things I really loved about the microchurch community is it's very collaborative. People are wanting to learn from one another. They're wanting to collaborate. They're wanting to share their resources. Um, and so that's what I did over in the States, met with a couple of different groups, and we shared different resources and learnings along the way. And one of the things that's interesting, the microchurch movement that we're seeing in the Western church, of course this is happening in the majority world most of the time anyway, but in the Western church it started in the UK, the US and Australia about the same time completely independently of each other. Let's talk about that word microchurch because some will be thinking, what does that mean? Uh, there's a home church movement uh, that's very strong in Australia, uh, no doubt around yeah. the world too. Uh, when you say microchurch, uh, comparing that to our ordinary local church on the street corner or in the suburb, um, you know, compare that also with the contrast to a mega church, which might be something that's grown to, you know, even tens of thousands of people. What's a microchurch? So a microchurch is really a small uh, Jesus-centered community of disciples that have come together around both a love for God and a love for a particular people or place, and they're seeking to, uh, empowered by the Spirit, to just demonstrate and proclaim the gospel to that particular people in contextually relevant ways. Now, it's a new term, but it's certainly not a new idea. So if you trace back in our history, God Squad is a great example of a microchurch movement. Um, Mother's Union in its early days would be something similar. They're, they're small churches aiming to reach particular parts of our community, in contextualised ways. And a lot of people will be thinking, well, I'm a part of a home group or a cell group, and they get called different yeah. names, a connect group. Uh, all sorts of people might have different ways they describe a small group that they are a part of, but they're attracted to that small group because they're meeting together with like-minded people. Is this something of a, the essence of microchurches, that people think the same way, they actually like each other and they want to do something <laughs> special in the kingdom? Yeah, look, that's part of it. What really draws a microchurch together, it tends to be that they have a similar vision or a similar missional identity for people they want to reach. So it's less drawn together by their own relationships with one another and more drawn together by their desire to reach a particular people or place in their area. So there's an intentionality about it. Uh, it's a group that gets together not just to be friends and even pastorally caring for one another, but there's an intentional nature to a micro church because uh, when you talk about a missional identity, mission means we're serving with Christ in his mission, doesn't it? So in some ways you've got to have some sort of intentionality about it. Maybe not everybody in the group has that intentionality at the start, but I guess the leader actually 
begins to share those sorts of things and the group gets excited about doing something significant. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's one of the biggest differences from the house church movement that we saw really boom in the 70s is the house church movement got the importance of, you know, being in small community and discipleship, but they didn't yet have that really missional um, identity or missional intention in what they did. And the microchurch movement has really added to the house church movement that strong sense of missional purpose. Bree, I mentioned you just got back from the US. Have you got any reflection on what's happening to churches in the US? And, uh, you know, just to reflect on the fact that people in American churches and the Christian foundations of America, even though the headlines don't always reflect this, there's a very solid foundation in church life in America. As I understand it, weakening a little, but what were your perceptions of the health of the church overall in the US, United States. Did you did you get that sort of perception at all? Yeah, look, it's it's definitely weakening and they're certainly finding post-COVID that they're getting a lot less people come back into churches, into traditional churches. But one of the things that I am seeing, I think for the first time, I've been over there a few times, but this year it was really evident just the amount of innovation um, and new church plants and experiments that are starting to happen in the American church. So I think they've owned the fact that kind of Christendom is ending in the United States, but they've actually started investing money and resources and and people into new and innovative ways of doing church in that space. Interesting you use on a word like that, uh, experimenting. And uh, sometimes we think uh, we are in the model in our church and everyone's got their own local church, we feel like that's the model that we're born into and we're planted into and we've got to always keep that model as something sacred. Um, when you say experimenting, you're talking about leaders who are saying, hey, society's changing, we've got to adapt and we've got to change too. How do you see that sort of experimentalness in, in, in churches more generally? Yeah, well, I think a lot of people are really um, growing to the idea that church is indeed the people. We've moved away from church being the building or a particular set way of worship, um, and that's allowing people that chance to say, well, what does it look like for us to be the church today? So that's, that. you know, we get experiments from, I met with a guy while I was over there who's doing a network of microchurches through the Disneyland parks all over the world. And he's just got a heart for these people. He loves the who work at Disneyland and he's got a desire to reach them. And so he's like, well, they're never going to come into my church building. How do I bring church to them? And he just started experimenting and then this is what has arisen. And so I think we're seeing a lot of things like that, a lot of people who are realising that church is about more than just a building or a place and it's time to actually take the church to the people rather than ask the people to come to the church. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. Our talkback line open, 1-800-316-316. You can join in our conversation. We're talking church, and you might have your own experience of church, your own experience of home church or micro-churches, as we've been talking about with Bree Mills, who's director of Microchurches Australia. She's also a part of the team, the Exponential team. We'll be talking some more about that shortly too because Exponential Australia has a multiplication summit coming up on the 31st of May. Hey, Bree, let me just ask you about the times as they are changing, this cultural moment that we find ourselves in, 
What's so different, do you think, today uh, that means we need to rethink some of the things we do when it comes to church? Yeah, look, I think there are a few things that uh, are happening in our community that are really feeding into this desire for a, a smaller church movement. I think one of the things that's becoming really evident is that Australians are genuinely quite lonely and seeking deep connections and relationships. And sometimes our larger churches, and I've been a part of them for many years, aren't great at providing that sort of deep connection. So I think that's where some of the micro church stuff is picking in. I think, you know, add a few other things, like I think we're in an anxiety epidemic, which makes smaller communities a safer space for people to step into. Um, I think Australia is seeking things like authenticity and integrity. Um, they want to see people actually live out their beliefs, which I think we see a lot in the smaller micro churches that are more discipleship focused. But I also think generally there is a movement in Australia just to go local. I think it came out of, certainly in Melbourne, it came out of the COVID um, pandemic, but people are just wanting to go local and the desire to travel for things just isn't there as much. Okay, that might be the experience of listeners. Go local. Uh, not necessarily travelling long distance. There was a time not too long ago where people were not afraid to travel an hour uh, to go along to church, but now since COVID, it's changing a little and people are happy to be in a local expression of church. Hey, we're taking calls on 1-800-316-316. Let's take some calls. Robin is in Malakuta in Victoria. Hello, Robin. Welcome. Hi. Robin, what are your thoughts? Um, well, basically, we've been looking at this for years and years, but um, we've always come back to 1 Corinthians 14. I think it's verse 17 towards the end of the chapter anyway, but uh, 1 Corinthians 14 where it says, when you meet together, do this, do this. One will do this, one will do that, one will do the other, one will do that. And so we've modelled church when we have church, as with other people, um, on that. And it's been, well, we think really successful and very local and very small. And um, yeah, it's just been quite amazing because when we allow, as it says, one will bring, I think it's something like a word, a song, a Mm-hmm. Um, can't think of prophecy, etc. Well, we're we're waiting on God. We're waiting on God is delivering messages into people all the time, and um, we if we let them be let them speak, um, yeah, it could be a bit messy, but it won't be messy for long. You'll soon organise yourselves and work it out. But um, but basically, letting God guide people, um, and then they speak or sing a song that He's giving them, and that stuff goes into people. It's like fresh bread from heaven. And it's like, whoa, oh, that's just what I needed to hear. Oh, my goodness, that's amazing. And look, you might have a church of 300 people and you think we can't let 300 speak. They won't. Look, they might day one, but they won't. When they start to really wait on the Lord, it'll be very orderly and very done. God will do it. <laughs> Robin, what a great insight. Uh, Bree, what are your thoughts for Robin? Yeah, I love that you've pointed that out because one of the things that I'm really passionate about um, is that in Scripture we see really clearly both houses meeting in their oikos, in their homes, in their family units, and then we hear this call, which is throughout 1 Corinthians and other places, that says when you come together, there is an expectation that microchurches don't just exist just as an isolated oikos community, but that they do come together in larger gatherings. And we see that in Scripture um, in the temple. We see that in Ephesus when Paul is doing his training of church leaders that this isn't just a micro takes over and we get rid of all the macro churches, but it's actually about this partnership of needing both together. And I think 1 Corinthians really highlights 
the need for us to both meet in those smaller micro churches and then to gather together on occasion for other purposes. Robin in Malakuta, thank you so much for your contribution. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. Let's continue to take some calls. Gary in Campbelltown, south side of Sydney. Hi, Gary. Welcome. Hello. How you go? Good, Gary. What are your thoughts? Um, I, I sort of concerned about the, how we seem to have lost the art of outreach and evangelism for organising uh, events to, that's based on outreach and evangelism. Because we, uh, you go to church and they're very much, uh, oh, this person, these people can, you know, like witness in their, or talk to people in their home, up in workplaces and things. I oh, know that's good, but I think uh, some people are probably reluctant. And I think having um, things planned and organised to, go out there and actually as groups and running an event that's based on evangelism. We're very good at running events and things that help build up the church, but that's, that's sometimes I think that's as far as we go as, uh, with these groups or, or planned events. Eris, breaking up a little bit there, I think we can pick up on the sorts of things you're saying here. And uh, I suspect there's going to be a need for bigger churches and bigger events that are specially focused. But let's get a thought or two from Bree, if you can uh, respond to uh, to Eris. Yeah, well, I think evangelism in Australia has almost become a dirty word, something that we're not allowed to talk about and that we're a bit nervous around. But I actually think it's really important and I think we have both a need for bigger events at times where we, we do have a more general call. But I'm also, because of my heart for microchurches, my passion is to say, well, actually, what does it look like for us to reach out to a particular community? So we reach a particular community in Melbourne, in Notting Hill, and we will happily proclaim the gospel in contextual ways to those people. Well, I know another um, another woman who runs a microchurch in Tassie reaches out to a totally different group of people. And if we were to run an event, those two groups of people probably wouldn't be served by one event. And the joy of microchurches is that we can actually scatter broadly and reach a whole lot of different people in a language that they can see and understand and almost almost taste the gospel for themselves. So I think, I think it's a both-and approach. We need the larger events, and I think they have their place, especially, I think, with young people and students. Um, but I do think we need the more targeted forms of evangelism through microchurches as well. And I'm sorry I called you Eris, but it's Gary. Gary, thank you so much. Yeah. Did you have anything yeah. more to add? Um, yeah, I can't think of I think I said most of what I That's good stuff. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Gary. Great to hear from you. 1-800-316-316 to join our conversation. Now we've got Eris, who's in Brisbane. Hi, Eris. <laughs> How are you, mate? How are you? Good. What are your thoughts, quickly? Um, I'm more to micro church and macro church. Micro church and macro church. You t- are you asking that question? Yes. Okay. So uh, a micro church and a macro church, or is a micro church its own field, starting small, and everything else becomes macro after that? Bree, what are your thoughts for Eris? Yeah, so I would I would say that there's all sorts of different churches. I think the Baptist Church in New South Wales have done a great job of outlining the different churches that exist. Micro churches are small small communities, usually less than 
30 or 40 people that meet with a particular missional identity in mind. Um, I would say your macro or your mega churches are your really large churches that, you know, serve thousands of people and, and do a great job in doing that. But then you've also got community churches in the middle, you know, smaller communities of somewhere between 50 to 200 in that sort of space, maybe even to 500, where they're serving a particular community um, in a very different way to your kind of mega churches who serve almost a whole regional area. And I actually think we need all of them. It's, a, it's an ecosystem in Australia, right? Some people are going to be attracted to that mega church mentality. Others are going to love the old community parish church. And others, particularly I think the de-church or the unchurched who have never come to church, are really going to love that, that micro church that connects with them where they're at. Eris, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. The interesting thing here, Bree, if you love your local church, uh, you're not going to want to change that. If you're a part of a mega church and there might be thousands that gather together on a Sunday, you're not going to want to necessarily change that. But there are going to be people in every congregation who are saying, there's got to be more for me to do and maybe God is stirring me. Maybe he's prompting me to jump out of the nest and actually have a go and maybe perhaps under the right accountable oversight to have a go at starting yep. something significant. This is the sort of person I suspect you're going to be looking to to connect with uh, through your exponential events. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And we're seeing it at the moment. I'm working with mega churches in Melbourne who are starting to keep their mega church as is but release the more apostolic leaders to start these micro churches across Melbourne. And they're doing a both end approach, which I think is fantastic. And when you've got those leaders in church life and they're sitting warming the pews, uh, wondering that I'm just having a nice time right now, I'm not sure whether this is my time. Uh, what is it, do you think, and we've only got a short time to, to maybe get a response here, what is it, do you think it feels like when you're prompted to take a next, next step and step out and do something that might be walking on the water. Yeah, I think you often sense in those leaders there's a there's a growing rub or a dissatisfaction with what's going on. Not because they don't like it, because that there is that sense of calling that God is kind of building in their hearts to be reaching a particular people that their current community is not reaching. And so often you'll see them start to rub up against leadership and want to push in another direction. And then I think it's a great place to actually start to work out, well, how do you equip them and send them to go? It's interesting and we might pick up on something after the news when you feel that little bit of friction or tension and that might actually be either that you're uncontrolled and need to bring that back into into uh, you know uh, some level of uh, you know humility or it may be something mm. in you that is stirring that says well, I've got more to contribute here and uh, need to jump out and take some responsibility. Hey, Bree, when we're talking micro churches. Are we talking about ordinary churches that are a part of giving birth to micro churches? Uh, does this is not something that's completely separate from the ordinary local church, is it? This is something that the ordinary local church can do to actually get that expansion happening. How do you see it? Yeah, that's exactly right. So my first experiment with micro churches was actually out of a large evangelical church in Melbourne, an Anglican church, who when I said I had a particular passion and I feel a call from God to go reach our neighbourhood, they released me to be able to do that. We ended up with a, a network of about 12 micro churches and 350 people running alongside an existing Anglican church of 500 people. And the two 
systems actually played well together and and benefited one another. And you're not talking about rebels in your church who just don't like the leader or want to go off on their own tangent with a strange doctrine. You still need some level of orderly oversight, don't you, for uh, what might become a micro church and then a micro church movement within your local church. You've got to still have the leadership. Absolutely. All micro churches need to be under some sort of leadership, whether that's in partnership with a local church or with their denomination. There are lots of denominations who are setting up ways to actually support and encourage and provide that accountability for micro churches. And isn't that a protection? Because if you've got this accountability from someone who is your oversight, uh, if someone does do the wrong thing, or if there's inappropriate behaviour or any of those sorts of things that might be very controversial, then you've got somewhere to go upline that you can actually get some support and some help and some direction. So really all that's absolutely necessary. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and especially with our child safe legislation and things like that, we, we need to be in those sorts of relationships today. You know what's challenging about this conversation, Bree? Uh, that is that if we're a part of a local church that's not doing something to plant something like a micro church, because that sounds like to me uh, that's the easiest step forward to do something significant. But if you're not doing that, perhaps you're not doing enough. Now, some might be saying, well, you don't know how busy we are in our local church. We haven't got time for all this other sort of stuff. But somehow or other, this needs to be a part of the thinking of every leader, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. And one of the first things that we had to do as we were starting to plant that micro church movement out of our existing church was actually to free some of our people up to have time to do that. So we actually had to make the decision um, to well we closed a couple of programs but mostly we just chose to invest more in some of those movements and less in some of the other things that were in taking a lot of our time as a church because churches are great at keeping people busy but that doesn't necessarily reach our community someone's going to say too uh, who gets paid to do all of this <laughs> because when we talk about <laughs> church uh, oftentimes we are talking about our own, as you mentioned a little earlier, a calling. Uh, there is a lot of voluntary capacity because we recognize what we're called to do in a great commission uh, that Jesus has called us to. Uh, but, you know, somewhere along the way, someone might need to be paid in in those sorts of capacities to oversee that. How, how do you describe what happens with a movement like this? Because it gets to be very agile when you don't have a big wages bill. Yeah, that's right. So most microchurches in Australia are planted by people who are full-time workers in other fields and nobody's in paid. Um, I've been the director of Microchurch Australia for 18 months is a completely voluntary capacity um, because I love it, because I'm passionate about it, and because that's what Jesus called me to. We usually find when you start to build a microchurch network, by the time you're getting three to five microchurches in your network, you really do need someone in that kind of staff role to start coaching and supervising and encouraging those micro churches but usually with one or two they're lay-led movements that are just allowed to um yeah to move in that sort of agile preform space and you know what uh, for some that will be people breathing a sigh of relief that says oh my goodness as soon as you introduce sometimes uh, the paid worker in these capacities uh, you can actually lose some of the fire of enthusiasm that happens because 
uh, when people are actually, as you say, working their day job and they're planting a church in their spare time. Uh, that's the sort of thing that really, you know, that's exciting for so many people. That's something that's significant and that's worthwhile. Have you found over the years that as soon as you start talking about paid employment, it actually changes the dynamic? What are your thoughts here? Absolutely. I think we've had a few micro churches that have been offered seed funding to grow and to multiply. And I've been really hesitant to encourage them to take it because what happens is when someone becomes paid to do it, then everyone assumes that everything they do is their responsibility. Whereas when nobody's paid, it's held by the team. This is we, we are the priesthood of believers. This community is our responsibility. We hold it together. But if we elevate someone in a paid role, then suddenly everyone else is actually de-elevated and pushed down into a, a more consumer-based role. And one of the beauties of microchurches is the priesthood of all believers is activated and is alive again. And isn't it funny because sometimes uh, the best people for planting a church or a microchurch uh, often lament the thought that, I'm going to take a pay cut to go and be the leader of that particular church, where in actual fact, talking about a micro-church opportunity, you don't take the pay cut because you're not leaving your day job. And there is a sense here in which you can have, uh, you know, middle class or even wealthier people who are actually doing something so significant and making things happen, and they're not actually giving up their, their career to actually do that. Is that something you might see around the world? Is this, you know, tent maker idea, you know, working your day job and doing something in your spare time? Is this, you know, catching on in any significant way that you've observed? Yeah, I think it is. And it's and it's also, I mean, it's key in the developing world. No one gets paid to plant churches in the developing world. Most of them are working full-time jobs and doing that outside of that sort of space. So it's like the the Western world, I guess, is starting to catch up with what's been really um, catalyzing church planting and movement in the in the majority world. A question comes to my mind, how fast can you multiply these micro-churches? Uh, if you've got a, a movement of people and, you know, there's an outreach and there's some pastoral care, there's lots of invitations. I'm sure, I'm sure, assuming there's lots of sort of hospitality involved in that because you're building yes. friendship uh, foundations, how fast can you multiply? And I, I might even get to, uh, you know, how you actually, you know, divide and multiply, but, but you know, how fast have you seen this happening? Yeah, so I've seen them multiply within a year where we've had one community, it's seen people come to faith, they've started to disciple and then they've multiplied. Um, most of the time you see that happen within kind of one to three years. Often if you see microchurches who are three or four years in and haven't multiplied, then you need to actually spend time with them, helping them um, reassess who they're reaching, reassess what their discipleship methods are and what tools they're using and, and maybe just, I guess, realign. And if you are in a ordinary local church, uh, you've got a building, it's been there for 60 years, maybe it's been there for 100 years, and uh, you keep turning up each week and you're one of the regulars, you've got a real loyalty and uh, faithfulness in that church. Uh, to be able to get a new way of thinking and and, and start a micro-church that doesn't necessarily meet in your uh, local building, and maybe you're meeting in a modern building uh, or a cafe or something like that, how does that sort of fit with people? Because when we talk about the way Australians are changing, not everybody's attracted to, attracted to uh, you know meeting in a cathedral or a meeting in a church that's a hundred years old. How do you think people are responding to the thought that you might be meeting 
in cafes or uh, restaurants or yeah. even pubs. Uh, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, well, my personal microchurch is like a little... And we have who wouldn't walk into church because they've had some previous history and experience that just makes that a barrier that's too far for them to cross. But they will happily come into the local neighbourhood centre with us. And we're seeing stories like that all over Australia where people are meeting in various different places. There are communities that are just committed to meeting cafes. There are communities who meet in pubs. Um, anywhere that is a place that people feel comfortable to be able to engage in, trying to take away the barrier that is sometimes the building of the church. And our experience has been that most churches are actually pretty open to this. They're not offended um, by by these newer communities that are birthing off, reaching in other places. The, the Fresh Expressions movement in the UK is full of this. Existing churches who are birthing off a smaller micro-expression in some community space. And they don't necessarily become uh, alternative uh, denominations uh, because you mentioned uh, Anglicans and you mentioned Baptists. If you are in an mm -hmm. Anglican church or a Baptist church and you plant a micro church, that doesn't mean it's not Anglican or Baptist anymore, does it? No doubt if you've got that connection to that oversight, which is actually your protection, uh, then, you've got to, then you've got something pretty solidly in place. And then uh, the sending church or the planting church actually gets to claim you as a you know as something of fruit from from good ministry i mean i mean there's a lot of dynamics going on as to how everyone sees these things what are your thoughts around that yeah there's a there's a new move when i started 10 years ago denominations didn't really want to hear about micro churches uh, but now pretty much every denomination is open to accepting micro churches it makes their books look good there's more people on the numbers and most of them are actually sorting out how do they support these micro churches? How do they do leadership development? How do they do coaching? How do they do accountability? Um, so they've got some great systems set up in place. So now um, most micro churches, I think, would find a home within one of our many denominations across Australia. I think some listeners will be starting to catch on to this uh, title that you bear. Leadership Acceleration Catalyst, because uh, my suspicion is, Bree, that if someone decides to step out of the boat and go to walk on the water and they're going to have their, their own go at, uh, at uh, starting a micro church, that their leadership capacity is accelerated because all of a sudden uh, they're under a bit of a weight of responsibility and there's lots of things that you need to know. Uh, thoughts here about accelerating your uh, your maturity by actually having a go at doing something like this? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's funny. Often we think in leadership that we need to have all this training before we step out. But I think if you watch what Jesus did with the disciples, he gave them the training as they stepped out. And I think um, just-in-time learning is kind of a principle that's well-known throughout lots of other fields. But it's it's about actually learning as you go and learning on the road. And I think that's what most microchurch leaders end up having to do. And it creates a great dependence on Jesus. If you're stepping out, you have no idea what you're stepping into. That's a great place to be as a follower of Jesus. And uh, look, I don't want to sugarcoat this at all because there is necessarily uh, something to talk about because if you do step out and you're having a go 
and you're doing something that's innovative, creative, even experimental by starting a micro church, uh, one of the things you'll have to deal with is that the people within your group uh, may or not always agree with uh, what you say or where you want to lead things. Uh, so you've got all the sorts of tensions and even conflict possibilities that can arise. That also doesn't that feed into our maturity because being able to deal with those things is a necessary part of how the kingdom grows. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in a micro church, you're tending to deal with that without any positional authority. So you're learning how to actually do that kind of collaboratively in community and leading through serving one another. So if nobody is positioned as the pastor, you might be the person who lead, you might be the person who had a vision for this particular micro church, but nobody is under any compulsion to follow you. So you actually have to do the work of building relationships and, and discerning that vision that you're called to together. What about being the person who is like the seed being planted and starting a micro church? I remember many, many years ago hearing the story of uh, someone who said, uh, well, we planted a lot of little churches and some of them became big. There is a certain sense, isn't there, that as, as a seed being planted, you might feel like what you're doing is small, but uh, as you have leadership developing and as your microchurch begins mm. to grow, the possibility that sometime you won't be the microchurch even anymore, you'll be the bigger church. And sometimes you might even grow into the mega church. Uh, thoughts here about, you know, se sending or being the seed that gets planted? Yeah, look, I think that's completely true. I think. Um, if you're faithful in response to what God's calling you into and you get that sense of God is asking you to go do something in a particular area with a particular people, and you're faithful to that that call, then I think God will use it in lots of different ways. Sometimes he'll use it to birth a network of micro churches. Other times it'll birth a community church or a mega church. I don't think uh, you want to put any limits on what God can do in that space, but I think it's really about that heart orientation that's willing to, to follow as God is calling and be responsive and obedient to that. And then I think anything can happen. Personally, I think, um, you know, any church planter should start with a micro church because it's a great way to make sure you're on about discipleship and mission. And if it grows into a bigger church plant, great, then buy a building, do whatever you like with it. But start with that heartbeat of discipleship and mission. The heartbeat of discipleship and mission. Can we come back to some scripture here because most of us will be aware of the Great Commission, going into all the world and yeah. preaching the gospel and making disciples of whole nations. Uh, you know, in the uh, in the Mark uh, Great Commission, there's all sorts of things that go along with that. Uh, you know, miracles and signs and wonders and all sorts of things that you might anticipate as you take these expressions and jump out of there. So come back to the, the Bible here for a foundation for us for a few moments. There's lots of things that are Great Commission oriented in the Scripture. What is it that sort of jumps to mind for you uh, that, that you know will be an inspiration for listeners thinking about this conversation today? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the Great Commission is, is an obvious one in terms of making disciples. I think Acts 1-8 for me is a big um, formational piece. You know, we start where we are and we're actually called to go. We often think that people are called to come to us at the church, but Acts 1-8 says, you know, we'll start in Jerusalem, Judea, and then go out you know, through wherever to the, the ends of earth. But I also think, um, yeah, I think other key passages for me are really around um, our work as Christ's ambassadors. 
that we are called to actually be ambassadors. And when you think of what that language of an ambassador means, it means living as, um, you know, an ambassador for another kingdom or another king on a different king's soil, I guess. So we live as God's kingdom ambassadors on soil that's not yet his. But often in the churches, we're kind of staying just where, where it is, I guess, God's territory and not actually moving out to be those ambassadors to live out what it means to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel in those places. And so I think they're some of the things that have really been shaping me in this journey. Uh, one quick question, because we've got to tie some loose ends together, and uh, there's lots of questions I think I could ask you and uh, continue this conversation ongoing. But, uh, but Bree, when people are a part of any church, uh, usually someone is asked to give. Uh, whether we're responding to this biblical idea of a tithes and offerings or uh, perhaps this New Testament uh, generosity that marks the Christian believer, when you've got a micro church, undoubtedly this has got to be an area where there's some accountability as well because as soon as you start to deal with money, then you've got some regulations and you've got some right yeah. priorities to get in place. How do you deal with the finances if you're going to jump out and have a go at a micro church? Yeah, I think that's one of the great things usually about being attached to an existing church is they can often help you to deal with the financial side of things. But lots of micro churches do the, the basic work of um, setting up an account and doing so either with their diocese or um, denomination, depending on who they're under. But I think most micro churches have a heart for generosity. And even if they're not paying wages or buildings, they're often still giving. And then that money is going into a central pot that's being used for their mission purposes in their area. Um, or, or other things like that. So often they used to give away to families in need or, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of micro churches do things that work with people who are on the, um, I guess, the lower end of socioeconomic situations in Australia. And so they use their giving money that would often go towards buildings and wages to actually give towards those who really need it in some tangible ways. So it unlocks finance into a missional sense. And, uh, you know, while some of that finance might go back to uh, the mothership, sort of, you know, if it's a, a church that's overseeing things, uh, there's going to be some finance available for the mission approach of the micro church. And so all of a sudden you've got this sort of growing in, uh, in financial maturity as well as to being a steward of what people are giving and then being able to use that to see the kingdom enlarged. It is just very exciting, Bree. And I think that listeners to our conversation today will no doubt be excited about what's happening, just stimulating the conversation with these regional events that are coming up. Let me give the dates for these regional events. And if you're in Victoria, Melbourne on the 20th of March, and today's the 14th, so we're only talking six days away. Sydney on the 22nd of March. In Brisbane on the 24th of March. Perth, the Church Multiplication Summit on the 31st of March. Now, you've got some great speakers coming to be a part of this, Bree. What can you say about Ed Stetzer or uh, the other speakers that are on the bill? Any thoughts here about the sort of way they communicate and what to expect that you'll receive if you go to be a part of one of these uh, gatherings? Yeah, I mean, Ed Stetzer is one of the deepest thinkers in this area. He's, he's a theologian. He's a really quite a um, yeah, really deep thinker, whereas someone like Dave Ferguson is, um, is is a deep thinker, but he's also a practical man. He has done this. He has, he has led churches. He has multiplied churches. He understands what it takes to do that, both from a leadership capacity 
but also from from his church experience in that space. And then on, Bishop Rick Thorpe's incredible. He has led to the revitalization of hundreds of churches across the UK. So they all bring a slightly different perspective to that conversation. It sounds like it's going to be an absolutely fabulous event. Those regional events, Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, 20th, 22nd and 24th of March, then Perth, the Church Multiplication Summit, 31st of March. Bree Mills has been our guest. You can connect with Bree also at the Exponential website, exponential.org.au. You need to register by the end of tomorrow. So hearing this conversation now, check out that website, exponential.org.au, and you can register to be a part of one of those regional events and be stimulated as to how your local church can take the next step and grow. Uh, Bree Mills, thank you so much for taking some time to share your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been great. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 